0: welcome to
1: the always on podcast i am your host duncan mcpherson and on this podcast our objective is to enable our audience which are high caliber fee-for-service professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves personally and professionally and on today's podcast i had a great conversation with julia norman who is an estate planning lawyer and tom deans who is a best-selling author and conducts a great presentation to motivate clients to take action on their estate planning issues. And we talked about just trying to reimagine and even revolutionize what it means to be process-driven when it comes to estate planning issues. So I hope you like that. If you like this podcast, please like and share, and tell your colleagues. And if you have any ideas or thoughts on topics that you'd like to hear in the future, just let us know. Thanks for listening. Okay, very excited to have uh, two special guests. I've had each of them on this podcast individually. Exceptional skill set. Both are thought leaders in their space, and I don't overstate this. I think there's an opportunity to revolutionize the estate planning space, but reimagine it at a minimum or as a starting point. So I'm joined with Julian Norman, who is a uh, lawyer here in Kelowna, British Columbia in the estate planning world, and Tom Deans, who's the author of Willing Wisdom and Every Family's Business. And Tom works very closely with financial professionals, uh, representing them in front of their clients, uh, trying to motivate them to take action and address all of the unmet needs uh, that exists in the estate planning uh, world or in their worlds anyway. So Tom and Julia, thank you for being here.
2: Thanks for having us. Great to be here, Duncan.
1: So I know you're both uh, interested in horses, Not to dumb this down, but I I read not long ago that one horse can pull a 1,000 pounds, but two horses can pull 3,000 pounds. So that's why I wanted you both here, because you have such a great command of this topic, but you approach it uniquely. And what I want everybody listening in to consider is how they can reimagine how they engage other service providers and how they position estate planning in their conversations with their clients as part of their process. First thing I just want to point out, I, and again, it happened today, this morning, but I, I've noticed a trend that more and more financial professionals are, among other things, trying to achieve redline and plateau avoidance. Everyone's working hard, but they're trying to unlock another level of professional contrast, productivity, grow further up market. They've got to differentiate. If they want to attract more attractive clients, they have to make themselves more attractive than all the people who are out there. And I'm absolutely convinced that if they get this right and position continuity, succession, and family investment legacy – as the keystone of their process, they will elevate to that next level. So I'd like to start, Julia, with your opinion on that, and then we'll go to Tom, and then we'll build on this.
2: Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I I think we need to to be better. We all need to be better. We need to be entrepreneurs in what we do, whether you're an accountant, a lawyer, a financial advisor, and we need to engage each other and work with each other to make this a, a process, a collaborative process for our clients. I was just actually on an email right before the podcast this morning, working with that whole group for a client. And I think that that elevates that client experience and makes that, that process so much more, not only easier for the client, but will ultimately end with a better, more effective plan because we're all on the same page. So the accountant knows what we're doing. The financial advisor can... Was changing beneficiary designations so that ultimately that client's intentions are are satisfied on on passing, and even before passing for incapacity planning as well. So so I I do think we as advisors need to be better. I mean I, I guess I would consider myself an, an advisor sort of in a different capacity. Obviously not a financial advisor, but but we need to be better, better at, at sort of running almost our own little small businesses and engaging each other and working working with each other to, to provide the best possible client service.
1: Excellent. And I'm hoping that the financial professionals who listen in on this podcast will feel compelled to push this out to the other service providers they collaborate with to just reimagine that whole concept of, of coming together, to elevate the client experience, and uh, I'm going to get into that a little bit later on. But Tom, I'd like your two cents just to kick things off.
3: Yeah, Duncan, I think uh, you know this is such a fascinating subject at this moment in time. Let's put this in context. We're coming out of a out of a global pandemic, and people are thinking about aging and dying in different ways, and and it's it's really amplified the importance of families uh, gathering and talking. Over a million dead Americans, over over 35,000 dead Canadians who weren't planning on dying. And those families were thrust into, in most cases, chaos, because they were missing the most important document in the estate plan, and are probably saying, my financial advisor let me down. They're not going to make a big deal out of it. But quietly, they'll be talking amongst themselves saying, what the heck happened? Like, how is it that mom who was, you know, 74 years old died without a will? I mean, they've been working with that firm for, for 30 years. And and to have such a glaring major gap in an estate plan is absolutely craziness. So we can talk about why I think this is happening, but I can also I want to spend some time on how we can flip this and use the pandemic and a couple of other changes like demographics to bring urgency to this subject and actually create that awesome differentiator for an advisor because. I can tell you there's 137 million American and Canadian adults without a will. Now, that's a big opportunity. So it's, it's interesting.
1: Okay, so first of all, I'm going to jump ahead to that. What is it that prompts people to put it off and kick the can down the road?
3: Uh, well, my two cents, really briefly, I have a copy of my will right here. Now I'm, I'm holding it, Duncan. Okay. I'm still here. I'm still here. Do you know many people, first of all, who have never seen a will, held a will, certainly never signed one. There is a tremendous amount of superstition. People who think if I talk to my family about who's going to get the cottage or the business, if I sit down with a lawyer and, and draft and make these major decisions, Certainly if I sign it and hold that document and bring it home, I'm just asking for trouble. Uh, so superstition is the top of the list. Secondly, I would say, I don't want to write a will now because I'm going to sell my business next week, or actually our, we're, we're expecting our, new, our fourth grandchild. So we'll just wait. We'll wait till these other life events and then, because we don't want to have to go and change the will. So we just want to do one and done. Newsflash. These are documents that have to be reviewed and updated, I'm gonna say yearly. A lot of people say three to five years, you would be shocked at how much changes in 12 months. Shocked if you actually think back to what has changed, like material changes, start a business, sold a business, death of a beneficiary, birth of a new relative, something that impacts our major giving decisions.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Tom. I think another thing to consider is cost, and and it's I don't think I think that's sort of a short or short sighted issue because I, I do the litigation side of of the estate work as well and of course the costs are huge if we have to start litigating so I mean we can talk about that more later um, but but that's always sort of a selling point to my client is spend the money up front organize things now to not don't to not sort of um, put your family through that heartache and that expense later. Uh, so I think I think cost is is one of the factors that prevents people from jumping on it. It's time consuming. It's just another thing that people have to do. Uh, and I totally agree. People just put it off, thinking, "Oh, you know, life circumstances will change," or they just don't know. So I have clients that that walk away and they say, "I just need to think about it," but then they don't get back to me. So so I mean, my advice is put put something in place now, and we'll change it. We'll do a codicil. We'll do a new will. It, they're revocable. It's really easy to update it, but it's not easy if to pro, to probate something that we don't have, or to to administer an estate that that where there is no will or no planning in place.
1: Okay, so pouncing on that, we suggest that our advisors do not call their meetings with clients review meetings. Yeah, we ask them. we, we tell them the review meeting is obsolete. The idea of rehashing something that's already happened. It's got to be reimagined. So we ask them to position it as a strategy and tactical meeting where they invest the past into the future, make mid-course corrections, and make sure everyone's in sync. So I'm, I'm assuming from what you're telling me that on the agenda for the strategy and tactical meeting, at a minimum on a yearly basis, there needs to be an assessment for what critical life events have occurred, what adjustments need to be made on that keystone document. Is that safe to say?
2: Absolutely. And and not only what critical life events have occurred, but what, what assets have shifted. I mean, and, and wills, we call them ambulatory, which means that they don't often refer to the specific asset, but they they do. I mean, if, if you hadn't, and, and this is getting a little bit specific, but I mean, this is something that I deal with all the time. If the majority of your wealth is in your RSPs or your RIFs, and you have a designated beneficiary on those. Well, even if you're giving everybody everything to somebody else through your will, if if all of your assets pass outside your will, then then your your planning is totally defeated and your intentions are defeated. So, I think we also need to look at what are your assets? What has been the growth in assets? Has there been changes? What what's going on? So, ab- absolutely, I think that needs to be part of the not review meeting, but what what did you call it? reimagining and
1: Strategy and tactical meeting yeah, to basically yeah. make the whole concept of planning fluid and dynamic, yeah. not just a look back, but investing the past into the future and making sure that that's process driven. And a big part of it is the, the financial professional has to prime that meeting with a checklist and things that the client needs to think about in advance of the meeting. And then they need to execute on the meeting itself, whether it's online or in person using the agenda, and then they need to follow up the meeting with a summary of what was discussed, what was outstanding. So there is a sense of clarity. And I'm I'm going to get into sort of the ultimate objective of what a client wants and expect, but Tom, I'll let you uh, chime in on that as well.
3: Yeah. I would just add that, you know, the, opposite of what you just described is an advisor who doesn't have a strategy and tactics meeting and they ignore estate planning. And I would be hard pressed to imagine if Julia has not been called upon to do a bedside will where the, you know someone ends up in hospital, they, the family panics because they, they, they know there's no will. And then the lawyer is, is in the hospital trying to piece together this, entire, this person's entire life, where their assets are located, Who's going to get what, when, and how? And you got the family in the hallway. It is a three ring circus. It is a complete disaster. And it is
2: happening right across this country today. Yeah. I I have a little anecdote that maybe I'll just sort of quickly share. That's exactly that, Tom. But I have a client right now that called me and has some some fairly imminent health concerns. But the estate is an absolute mess and created a will on their own and is, is quite proud of it. Um, so, so my job as an advisor is to sort of take it back and, and not offend them, but say, look, this, this won't work. And there's complicated trusts. It's, it's a complete disaster. So then that as an advisor puts me in a position, sort of feel, you know, I, if, if I do help, I don't think we can get it right in a short enough timeline. This is something that takes potentially months, I'd want to work with his accountant, work with his advisor. But if I don't do it, then then I know for a fact, it will end up in litigation. So. So I, I'm kind of stuck between a, a rock and a hard place. And, and it, it makes it really difficult for advisors, but for the family and the client. And during my meeting the other day, I just felt really bad for the family as they were trying to deal with this, but also a deal with deal with their father being unwell. And it, it's just not a good scene. So, so get it done early is, yeah, I can't stress that enough.
1: Well, and coming back to the whole concept of continually working on professional contrast mm-hmm. and amplifying one's fee worthiness as a financial professional we keep reminding them to expand their thinking beyond you're not just an asset manager asset managing a client's assets is part of the process it's part of your panoramic and proprietary process and for somebody who wants to position themselves as a personal CFO, right, the complete family office, they have to consider this as being more proprietary. And I'm going to get into that in a second because most financial advisors think about their uh, the service providers they collaborate with as COIs, right? Circles of influence. And uh, what does that mean? What does that mean to a client? What does it mean to the professionals? It's it sort of, conjures up this concept of, okay, we're, we're, we're looking out for each other from a referral standpoint, okay? We're going to network, we're going to refer to each other. I want a financial professional to think of it as a value-added support team that they drive. So they have this vast array of professionals that they network with, but it's the financial professional driving it. Because if I'm the client, I want to know that my financial professional has got it and they're liberating me to go live my life. And they're motivating me not to kick that can down the road. And here's what's fascinating. So ultimately, when somebody meets a prospective client for the first time, they wanna get at the unmet needs. But what's really interesting is that when a financial professional meets somebody and it's just early in the conversation, and they ask the question so what what's keeping you up at night what's what's bothering you what what are you trying to accomplish i'm finding that, that people are telling me that the answers are changing like one advisor had a client a prospective client said say i'm retired but i don't know if i can stay retired I don't have, based on everything that's going on, it's like watching an ice cube melt right before my eyes. Everybody's talking about inflation and I'm seeing what I spent my life building evaporating. And I don't know if I have to rethink this. Like, I guess what I'm getting at is the financial professional has to be so diagnostic in terms of drawing out those unmet needs and what's keeping them the, the person up at night and then how they can address that by being process-driven and collaborative in terms of engaging all these service providers into the process. So, uh, Tom, I'd like your comment on that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, let's, let's drill down a little bit more. I mean, advisors who are focusing on high net worth and ultra high net worth clients, I mean, they absolutely must. It's absolutely essential that they dig in and find out what's keeping their clients up at night. And here's a little heads up. They don't care. Well, they care but they're not gonna really say they care whether or not they're getting 11.2% return on invested capital or 8.9, they don't care. High net worth and ultra high net worth clients, particularly in their 60s and 70s, they're pretty good at math. They can, they, they can figure out even if they live to 100, how much money they're gonna need, and then even double or triple that to really sleep well at night. And then they know they still have oodles and oodles of surplus capital. So you know what's keeping them up at night, Duncan? The fact that they don't have a will. The fact that they're gonna leave four million dollars to, you know, six grandchildren and what that what does that look like? Are they all gonna are they gonna get four million dollars each when they turn 18? How much is too much? I should leave some money to charity, but how much is too much to leave to, to that charity? Will my children be upset and, and sue the charity if they find out that the charity got more than I left them? These are the things that are keeping high net worth and ultra high net worth clients up at night. They are they are really stuck and they need a trusted advisor to walk them through what that estate plan looks like. So is there
1: a no man's land in between what a client wants and the advisor's ability to articulate the value that I can get you there? Like, is there is there just this inability to sort of demystify, to take you out of those, you know, when you're alone with your thoughts, imagining worst case scenarios? Like, is this what the financial professional has to get that person through?
3: Is that ah. is that interlude? I think so. Julia may have some thoughts. and yeah. I'll, I'll share a couple of mine, but go ahead, Julia.
2: Yeah, no, no, I, I think so. And I mean, I think this, this is what we do, um, whether you're a financial advisor or a lawyer, and, and we specialize in this area, we're, we're good at it. So I can take a client who comes in who has no idea, we can start discussing their legal obligations, their moral obligations, what they have. And just by having that conversation, generally speaking, I can get them to a place where at least we can start. And like I said, they can always change it, but at least we can get them to a place where we have something on paper and we have some certainty and, um, and they feel so, so much better and they're not kept up at night, but, but it's often easier, I think, to get them to that place than, than some clients think it might be. Another thing that, that just sort of came to me while, while you were talking, Duncan, um, was I, th- I think as a financial advisor, a huge value add to clients is actually connecting them. Because although they might be kept up at night because they don't have a will, they, if, if an advisor just says, oh, you know, you need to connect with your lawyer, connect me with your lawyer, whatever, it, it often doesn't work. There's someone in my office that's exceptionally good at it. And he, he will always, after a meeting, put it in his calendar Wait a couple of weeks, and then he'll connect us by email and say, you know, meet Julia. She can help you with X, Y, and Z. And then we start the we start that collaborative process. So, so I think I would just wanted to mention that as well. I think by actually taking uh, as a step to connect people and and not just suggest it, but but make it happen, people will almost always get their wills done when they sort of get pushed to pushed. And and then you create that, like you said, that circle of influence and. And you're creating that email chain with all the important people on it.
3: Yeah, Duncan, and I would just add, and you know, uh, having read my book, that I'm a big proponent of family meetings with the advisor, facilitating those meetings, organizing them, preparing an agenda, bringing the family members together, and then viewing an estate plan, especially a will and a power of attorney and a healthcare directive as a collaborative undertaking. Like, we got to let go of this idea that we're going to sit alone in a room, you know, and just try to imagine the future and write the perfect will or the perfect giving intention all by yourself. Like we've got to have all the answers ourselves. No wonder people aren't writing wills. I'm flipping this and saying, why don't we gather together as a family and, and, uh, you know, parents saying to their kids with their advisors present, we've accumulated a significant amount of wealth and it's going to go somewhere. And instead of us proclaiming how it will go, let's kick it around as a family. What does this look like? Is fair equal? Is equal equal? How are we going to divide the, the family cottage? We have four kids, but it's only a two-bedroom cottage. Like, how is that? Like, let's dig into this as a family and arrive at these solutions in an open, transparent, collaborative day, a way with our advisors present and our lawyer as well, as well, so that we can we can get these documents drafted, shared, agreed to, so that when life unfolds and it will, uh, there's no surprises. A
1: customized podcast can add credibility and efficiency to your communication efforts. Sifting good prospects from the mass of suspects, staying top of mind with strategic partners, and activating more advocacy from existing clients can be achieved with a turnkey approach. Learn more at proudmouth.com. The best place to strengthen a client relationship is in the very place where you manage that relationship. BlueSquareToolkit.com has harnessed the best practices of Pareto systems and brought them to life in our easy to use system that is accessible on both your phone and your desktop. Simple technology to uncomplicate your life by creating clarity, accountability, and consistency for your entire team. Build stronger client relationships by tracking and archiving essential information on what matters in your client's life and make yourself indispensable and more referable in the process. Create a more consistent client experience and grow your business with the Blue Square Toolkit. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14 day free trial today.
2: Yeah, I think we should dig into that cuz I actually think that's so important, Tom, and and I love that you wrote a book on it. Um we need, we need more all of our clients to read it. But from a litigation perspective, you are saving huge amounts of potential estate litigation and, and 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 issues and family upset by by engaging the family and having the family participate in the process right away. I mean, somebody might think and I I this comes up all the time for me. You know, we have a cottage and whatever. The the hawaii the kudi wherever um Chushua. It, it doesn't matter where the family cottage is but sometimes one child may really want the cottage one child may want nothing to do with it and and a parent giving it to their four children might think that they're doing the right thing but but the amount of of tension that they're going to create you were forcing those four people to get along to pay for that cottage every month or every year the annual fees when when somebody might want nothing to do with it so I, I think those conversations are, are hugely important with the family. Um, the cottage so, is just an example, but it, it just, yeah, it, it, the magnitude of it is is just huge. I mean, yeah, sorry, Dan. Well, wow.
1: and of course the cottage, and I can say this from experience has got so much emotional energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of it good, sometimes not all good based on the multiple parties, but the way the, like the way I look at our place versus the way my kids look at the place, it could be very different. So the premise here is based on cause and effect is for the financial professional and their value added support team to proactively drive activity that's going to lead to outcomes. Here's what's interesting. And uh, I'd like your opinion on this based on that no man's land, that mystery of, of, so if I'm the client, my imagination is, oh, this just feels like work. I'm going to put it off and get it, get to it later. But if the financial professional can demystify and future pace, okay, get the client to look past the minutia to the outcome. That's got to help to motivate. Okay, so I think of the analogy: you drive at night, headlights. They can propel into the, into the future 100 yards. You can only see 100 yards, but as you're progressing, you're moving another 100 yards. You just keep moving along that. So, if the financial professional can future pace, this is where it's going, and I've got a process in place that's going to get us there. Here's the summary, the checklist of the items we're going to work through. As a client, I can say to myself, I don't need to know everything he or she knows. I just need to know that they know, that they've got this. And I think that might be something that's lacking in the financial professionals process is the ability to have a client look directionally. This is where it's going. This is where we're going to end up. I've got this. Here's your summary. And we're just going to chip away at this. Is that oversimplified?
3: I don't think it's oversimplified. I think that's... We need people to simplify this. People have made this whole subject way too complicated. Look, the reality is, Duncan, over the course of the hour that it's gonna to take to lay down this recording of this, of this little exchange, a hundred million dollars will be inherited in Canada and the United States in one hour. It, it's, it's, a, it's a staggering amount of money that is moving and half of it, half of it this hour will transition through the laws of intestancy. There's, there'll be no will. And the family will be furious at who? They won't be mad at the lawyer because lawyers take instruction. That's the way, in fairness to the lawyers, they, they're not planners, right? They, they are not paid to plan. They take instructions, they apply the law, they, they build documents that reflect people's desires and needs. But the financial advisor, the financial planner, It's their job to make sure that they can check that box and those documents are in place. They must make this, if only for selfish reasons. Because if you don't have a copy of your client's will, how can you possibly tell me where where that wealth is going in the future? I mean, it's stating the obvious. If there's no will in place, all your decades of hard work building and managing wealth for one client will absolutely evaporate as it gets inherited, We know that 90% of inherited money just packs up and moves to a new advisor because of the indifference to getting to know the next generation. It's craziness.
1: So that hundred million in the hour, how much leakage is there where it, it just basically goes off in the wrong direction? 90 million, 90 million this hour, 90, 90 million. Bye-bye. So Julia, on the top of your checklist is, is the tip of the spear of the will? on your checklist of all your the things you need to get done?
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's about the will but but there's more to it than just the will. And and I think I when, when Tom was speaking I was sort of thinking about that. I mean the, the will is good and we need to get the will done. But in the absence of of working with a financial planner as I was talking about the RSP before, I mean it, it, there's more to it. And I think that's why, having said that, that's our job to to sort of probe and to figure out what what the other facts are so that we can make sure that we we do a good job um, and figure out all the things to to make it all work and line up. But there is more to it than just the will. I mean, we also need to consider incapacity planning. So yes, the will is the main document, but powers of attorney, hugely important for, I mean, at least in BC, well, and and through Canada, it's legal allows somebody to look after legal and financial matters provincially they're they're called sort of slightly different documents but without that if you lose capacity and again we don't know what will happen we could get hit by a bus tomorrow anything whatever any anything can happen and and the the process if you don't have that in place is also going and petitioning the court so as tom was mentioning if you don't have a will it goes through the law of intestacy and it just goes according to the legislation and we all have, every province has different legislation and, and country has different legislation about where the money will go. So if it's a super simple, basic mom and dad, kids, the money might land in the right hands. But as we all know, I bet you probably have stats on this, Tom, but, but how, how many people are in second marriages, third marriages, stepchildren, adopted children? It, it just, it creates a huge mess. So, so that's the intestacy part of the will. No will, intestacy. With a power of attorney, if you don't have a power of attorney, nobody can make decisions for you. What's happening with all your investments? What's happening with that that, you know, your taxes? Who has authority to look after all of this stuff? Your bills? Are you it it can create a huge disaster um, and really probably shrink your wealth significantly because things aren't being managed and kept up to date? And then the process. Is is what we call ship. and I know we talked about this a little in our last um, podcast, Duncan. Similar to the the Britney Spears conservatorship, where someone actually sort of starts to manage manage your affairs, but but that's a long, expensive process that's through the court, and you don't get to pick who does it. The court will pick, and the public guardian will have to has to consent, and it's 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 not not something that you want to go through. So so it's far better to get in front of it and and pick who who you want on those documents looking after things.
1: Let me just remind everybody, the synchronicity is to make sure that the client appreciates that you know exactly what they want and that they know you've got the technical ability to get them there. But the goal from a communication, the way you represent and articulate the value is to demystify to take the abstract nature of all of this in terms of the minutia and how tedious some of this can be to being conceptual because ultimately what the client wants is to be liberated they want clarity to know that every box is checked nothing's fallen through the cracks and they want to be at a sense of peace that i'm liberated i've i've taken care of this and that's where i think a legacy is really born and I look at the progression of a financial professional. When they started, they fixated on their knowledge, right? Their credentials, their designations, their technical ability. Then, as they started going further up market, they wanted to amp up their fee worthiness and their relevance and professional contrast. They went to expertise, right? So they started going higher up market, more complex fulfillment, working with other professionals. I want them to cross the next Rubicon and get to the place of intellectual property. It's beyond knowledge. It's beyond expertise. It's proprietary. Their process is theirs. As a client, I can only get it from you and you've got this. It's fully built out. And to your point, Julia, it's process driven. And I think this is absolutely an essential component to this. So Tom, I'll let you add into what Julie was saying, but also any commentary on that positioning.
3: Yeah, I, w- I would say that, you know, and a good starting place for advisors would be to do their own work first. Half the advisors listening in right now don't have a will themselves. Financial advisors are no better or worse than the average Canadian or American. They have a 50% chance of having a will. So if you're an advisor, let's imagine for a moment and you, you don't have a will, power of attorney, or healthcare directive, tell me how you're going to look a high net worth client in the eye and compel them authentically. To move forward quickly with these documents, you won't. You won't go there. That advisor won't go there because they this they know why they're not going there, and what a what a disservice to themselves and their client. So the starting place is do your own work, and then the best part is to share your your struggles, your what you felt as you were working through your own estate plan. Be relatable. Yeah. Be. You know, people think that, you know, or advise, many advisors think that high net worth clients are looking for that perfectly buttoned down, beautiful suit, fast car, everything perfect and, and right and easy. The reality is these are typically business people and business people are, they can smell, they can smell disingenuity in a second. They can, they can also detect someone who has struggled. They can, they can empathize with someone who has worked through these problems themselves. And man, these these are the advisors that are mopping the floor. And they're not making a big deal of this because this is their competitive advantage. They're sharing their struggles. They're making themselves relatable. And that is how exactly how they're landing the big accounts.
1: I'm not okay. sure who said this, but something to the effect that the The world has changed more by our example than our opinion, and I think you're right in terms of a credibility position. It's interesting. I I told advisors the best way to become indispensable to a client who has continuity, succession, and family investment legacy issues is to address your own in real time, bumper to bumper having your own will in place, going through your own process, eating your own cooking, having a protege in place and not having it positioned as you know, a handoff, but actually an upgrade, like an elevation. It does give so much credibility.
2: Yeah, yeah and, um, Duncan, and Duncan,
3: never leave home without it. Seriously, if you're an advisor, put your will in, in your briefcase if you still have one, um, and just never leave home without it. You know, when we can make like literally, will, literally when we can wave a will around in front of our clients, and say, here's a copy of my will. Look, nothing special. You know, if um, you know, if I were to die, then my assets go to my surviving uh, spouse. And of course, when she dies, uh, they go down to the kids equally. We've got we had some we had some struggles trying to figure out what to do with the cottage and and the business. But we worked through those. But God. it's all in here. It's here right here. Um, You want to look at it? It's a public document. I mean, I don't know what the big deal is here. Yeah. Make it matter of fact. I don't know why. Oh, no. Let's put this in an air vent and hide it. So no one ever finds it. Like what is going on? Seriously. I have a copy of my parents. will. my kids have a copy of my parents. will. they have a copy of my will. I have our kids have wills. When they turn 18, we buy them wills. Duncan, they're very disappointed. They're hoping for cars. We buy them their first will. It's their job to keep it up to date. I don't know what the big deal is, why that is such a spooky subject and scary. And uh, seriously, advisors, de-stress this document.
2: Yeah. The lawyer in me feels the need to jump in and just say, make sure it's a copy, not the original that you're sharing around. <laughs> but True. yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a good idea to send send a copy to the to your family. Be very clear on where it is. And then um, be, be clear about where everything else is too. Where are your assets? What, what are your assets? Where are they? Who are your advisors? You know, what, what do you want for your funeral? Where, how, is it paid for? I mean, do that work ahead of time. Um, I, I just made myself a little note as you were talking about that. But one of my clients, I think this is really, really sweet, but I have this, this uh, older client and she called it the book of life. And she just says, "Oh, it'll be so easy when I go because we have we have the book of life, and everything is in her book of life." And I have other clients that sort of do it in a different way. Uh, maybe a, a slightly more sophisticated way would be a thumb drive in a safe or in your whatever at the bank. But 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 lay it all out. Make make the family aware of what you what you have.
0: It's interesting. Way
1: back in the '90s, I went through Tom Stanley's books marketing to the affluent, the millionaire next door. Mm -hmm. And in his commentary and content, he said, he was talking to the business owner. He said, when you go and vet your financial professional, when they ask you to see your statements and your holdings, before you show them anything, you ask them to see theirs. Yeah. And it's such an incredible dynamic. Now, I know financial professionals, and you'll see how I'll loop this back to what you were saying, Tom, in the spirit of I would never ask you to do something I wouldn't do myself. Full transparency and very, very proactive, not waiting for somebody to ask, but this is what I've done myself personally. Your point about sharing as a financial professional, your own experience and exercise of taking care of your own will and estate planning needs, not only gives you credibility and to be able to tell those stories with the nuances of of what you went through, the highs and lows and all of it, it also creates a template bumper to bumper. Because at the end of the day, based on intellectual property, being process driven, I don't want anything to be just an intention or to be driven by skills and credentials and integrity. I want it to be built on, hey, we've got a process in place. We built this out completely. It's turnkey. We'll customize it. We'll make it specific to you, but there is no mystery here. We've got this. Got it myself, my clients, my strategic partners. It's our code of conduct. It's our rules of engagement. This has to be done. And it's an essential part of our process. So it's not even, it's not, Pitched as something they're trying to convince the client to do and pay for, it's positioned as this is an essential part of the process.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah, I couldn't agree more.
2: I think the one thing I would just add add to that is um, it's part of the process not only for older clients, but like I, I like how you said, Tom, that you get your your kids' wills for their 18th birthday. Because that's so true. I it's really important for, for everybody, no matter what your age. You know, we obviously we get we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Sometimes the messier, messiest, messiest estates are younger families or younger people that have sort of complex situations. Guardianship is a huge issue. We need to lay that all out. So I think emphasizing the need for younger clients as well is really important. And and then to circle back to to your first point, Tom, if 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 an advisor has an, a will themselves, you know th- I think that just reaffirms to their clients that look I, I have this myself I'm whatever, if, especially if they're similar in age and and just shows the importance of of having it for, for everybody.
3: Uh, absolutely, and I would add you know today, uh, in North America, just over six hundred people will die under the age of fifty. Six hundred people who might have thought that estate planning is just for really old people who are going to time their estate plan like an oil change. Oh, I'm 80. I guess now would be a good time to get a will. It just it just doesn't work that way. For, for the American listeners uh, who may not be familiar with that Humboldt uh, terrible accident on the Canadian prairies where a, a busload of young hockey players uh, had a head-on collision with a truck and Uh, just an awful, awful, just carnage. And I'll tell you, I was watching that unfold on live television and I watched uh, and I knew what was happening. I knew there were going to be parents arriving at the local hospital inquiring how their children were doing. And uh, I knew they were going to bump into privacy laws. They were going to be asked for copies of healthcare directives. And I knew that kids 18, over 18 or young adults I knew there would be like a 99% chance that they didn't have those documents in place. And those parents were getting nothing from the hospital administrators because of the privacy laws. Listen, estate plan, you want to give yourself a gift. If you've got family members that are over age 18, talk to them about the importance of estate planning, about wills, power of attorney, health directives. Give yourself a gift if you're a young parent.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, it is so important. This is not just about old people.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it happens all the time. Not not to sort of dwell on the sad stories, because I'm sure we all have lots, and that's sort of an unfortunate part of our part of our job. But I had a client who really young professional wearing those apple earbuds, noise canceling, and got hit by a train, which is it's so tragic. And and the person was just on their way to work one morning and like you just don't know what's gonna happen. And this stuff does happen. And there was a lot of cross-border issues in that case and and just and and it left a a, a bit of a mess. So yeah, I, I guess the positive spin on this is is just encouraging people to to get to to get their their affairs in order. And and I think that provides some sort of peace of mind. And and yeah, yeah.
3: Well, I, I think it does provide peace of mind, Julie. And I would go one step further and make the connection to late in life care. I think that when we sit our families down with our trusted advisors present. And we work collaboratively on an estate plan in an open, transparent way. What we're doing is building internal family trust and respect. And I actually think that that shows up in the quality and quantity of late in life care that we receive from our family. They're, the, they're our beneficiary. It's the same conversation. And I think that's, I've really spent a lot of time trying to make that connection that, that estate planning isn't just about dying and dividing up our stuff. It's actually documents that serve us, that empower our family members to serve us when we lose capacity, but are still very much alive. Whether it's cognitive impairment or we lose mobility, we are going to, at some point, rely on our family for help. What kind of family? The family whose relationships have been formed, informed, and shaped by open and trusting conversations about money. Is this yep. going to happen on its, on its own, like a do-it-yourself project? No. It's going to happen because an advisor is going to cajole and remind and implore and build a passionate case for this kind of scenario that I'm describing. An open, yep. honest, repetitive, trusting conversation about the transition of wealth. So yeah. to that
1: end, can I just talk about the ignition, how to actually get this started? If there's been some things that have been sort of dormant out there. And I, I I, want to get to the family meeting. So if I'm a financial professional and I'm going to buy into the strategy and tactical meeting, I'm having a meeting with my client right now. I'm working through the agenda. And I say to the client, hey, I just want to let you know that as a team, this last couple of years have been very, very disruptive. But one thing, the silver lining has been that we've been tethered together Looking at ways to elevate the client experience, and we've noticed that there's a bit of a commonality. There's a gap with some of our clients regarding their estate planning and some of the dynastic issues. So one way we're going to kickstart that is as going deeper into our process is to conduct a family meeting, and so and then just setting the expectation for what that looks like. Is that a good way to position it? Because I'm, I'm wondering if part of the fee aversion or lack of urgency might come from the fact that there's this the client feels like it's just an idea that's being pitched or it's an opportunity for wallet share for the advisor it's not interpreted properly is that approach that i described a good way to just sort of light a fire that hey this is we're positioning this as part of our process we're elevating the client experience and that's how we're gonna ignite it is with that family meeting. Thoughts on that?
3: I would say, yes, that is the way to ignite it. But also another great way to ignite it is through the use of scarcity. When an advisor says to a client, I, I can't do this for all my clients, but you're, but you're important and I, I'd like, and I think you're a good candidate for a family meeting. And, and it's truthful. An advisor can't do what I'm describing. But certainly for your top 10 clients who you've worked really hard to onboard, maybe you've been able to, you've been successful in recruiting multiple generations of that family, which is really a, should be a goal. You want to collect families. Families are sticky. Uh, You, you absolutely have to offer to hold these family meetings because if you don't, someone else will. This is what, this is what high net worth and ultra high net worth clients want. They absolutely want this. Yeah. And I just think the great, the great part of what I'm describing is there's no one set style of family meeting. Every advisor will find their own groove, right? Their own style, their own particular way of delivering this product.
1: Can I ask Tom and Julie, I'll let you uh, chime in in a second. Um, I can't recall if in either Every Family's Business or Willing Wisdom, Is there a checklist that a financial professional could use to navigate through a family meeting in either of those books of yours?
3: Yeah, so in Willing Wisdom, I offer seven questions that successful families ask. And these are seven questions that could be asked by the financial advisor just to kickstart a family meeting.
2: Yeah, I think often, I mean, I share my my sort of go-to checklist and I try not to make my meetings sort of formulaic and I, I do this a lot. So I, I sort of know all the questions, but but I share these these sort of checklists with advisors that I work with frequently as well, so that they're very clear on what information we need from the legal perspective. And I think that makes clients feel better as well. So there's not a duplication of efforts and I'm not exact asking exactly, same questions is that that they're talking about in their family meeting. I mean, unless I'm a part of the family meeting, but but a lot of times the advisor will have that history, so they sort of know where to where to probe and what to ask before before I'm even involved.
1: Incidentally, everybody, make sure you join and connect with both Julia Norman and Tom Deans on LinkedIn. And uh, Julia, I'll just say from from my interactions with you, I got the sense that you think more like an entrepreneur than most of the lawyers and attorneys I've interacted with. I never got the sense that there was a billable hour vibe in our interactions. You sounded very legitimately uh, interested in things that I cared about, and then obviously getting those done. I'm hoping that you will create a Julian Norman way right? Like a complete panoramic yeah. playbook that estate planning attorneys throughout North America could adopt to make sure that they've got the qualitative relationship management components in yeah. place as much as the quantitative technical fulfillment. And that's what I'm hoping you're going to create.
2: Well, thank you. That That's a very nice compliment. It's a lot to, lot to live up to. But but I, I do think those soft skills are so important in these meetings, and and you have to have the technical ability. I mean, you, you will fail without the technical ability 100% as, as, a, as an estate planning lawyer, because it is a very, very complicated area of law with high liability. But to be really good, I do think, and, and this is for all advisors, those those soft skills, the under the, the digging deeper about, okay, what is your relationship with your kids? Does anybody have a disability? Is Are there addiction? You know, issues. There, there's there's a million questions, and and you need to be able to have the relationships with your clients that you can push for those answers. Right. Um, and and if you're just having sort of the basic, like I said, the the formulaic, what are your kids' names? What are their ages? Dates of birth? That that is never going to be enough, and and that will not create the outcome that that we ultimately need. So, but yeah, no, I I appreciate that, and and that that would be the goal, and that I really try not to sort of do the the by the by the 6 the 6 minute intervals with my clients and just look at the process more more holistically and 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 make sure that people are getting value out of out of what we're doing.
1: So I think the call to action and the takeaway is you've got to have the technical ability and core competency in place but it's not something you rest on it's something you build on. It's a minimum requirement in this era. You're managing relationships with a lot of emotional components and a lot of different people. And you're managing a client experience. So Julia would be an essential follow on LinkedIn. And we're definitely going to have you back. As far as Tom Deans is concerned, if you're a financial professional that has clients with complex needs, especially if the assets that you're managing represent just a small portion of their net worth because they've got so much tied up in their business, And if you're a financial professional who collaborates or wants to collaborate more deeply and engage accountants and lawyers and other strategic partners into your process and your experience, you've got to, at a minimum, acquire Tom's books, Willing Wisdom and Every Family's Business, and even better yet, have Tom in either virtually for a WebEx for your clients and the clients of your partners, or have him fly into your city to do a presentation because I'm, I'll be a fortune teller here. Here's what's going to happen. Tom is going to light a fire. He's going to validate for your strategic partners that they are aligned with the right CFO, the complete family office. You are the quarterback. He's going to validate for your clients that they are in good hands with you and any issues that need to be addressed. Tom is going to shine a light on you and the fish are going to jump in the boat. Friends, family members, and clients that need to empower you more fully. So, Tom, I'll give you an opportunity to round that out if you like, but I, I've heard nothing but just incredible results that come out of either a virtual or an in person presentation that you do on behalf of financial professionals.
3: Well, well, thanks, Duncan. And just, uh, no, those are very kind words. And uh, just for the listeners, I mean that is what I. I mean that is what I do. I'm a full-time professional speaker. My way of saying I don't sell financial products. I have no referral arrangements with anyone. I literally wrote two books, and I have committed the last 15 years of my life to to really share um, profoundly important messages to motivate people to take action with who, not me, but with trusted advisors. And um, and I and I can't wait to get back to live events. I'm uh, firing up the plane. We're we're back in the sky next week uh, for six weeks. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's going to be great.
1: Are you open? I'm putting you on the spot here, but are you open to um, Meek producing a little bit of an executive summary of both of your books that have a checklist around that family meeting as the Kickstarter, just to get things going as an actionable idea for financial advisors? Are you open to that? Absolutely, Julia. Are you open to helping me
2: yeah, create this? No, that, that yeah. I I think that would be really important and a, a good takeaway to give advisors. Absolutely.
1: Okay. So in the meantime, join Tom and Julia on LinkedIn. I'd like to see you there too if we're not already connected. And uh, I just want to say thank you. And in a perfect world, I want to have you back on a quarterly basis to, at a minimum, reimagine this positioning and ultimately to revolutionize it, to ensure that the stories are all good.
2: Well, thanks so much for having us. Yeah. It was, it, that was, it was fun. I love chatting about this stuff.
1: Beautiful. And you're really (laughs) strong at it too. So thank you, Tom. Thank you very much.
3: Hey, Hey Duncan, don't thank me. Put me in your will.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh God. Talk talk about being put on the spot. Hmm. Okay. Let me give that. So, I'll get back to you. (laughs) Cheers. That's funny. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys.
0: Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more.